0: Man, did, you, did you catch the words in all those songs we sang this morning? I mean, cornerstone, foundation, strong, uh, and, and what is that all? What's the main theme there? Jesus. Yeah, I, I heard a whisper, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Hey, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. We're in the second to last uh, message in this series. We're going to end it next week. And, uh, but we're going we're gonna to start in the beginning of Philippians chapter 4. So if you would turn there. You know, a few years back there was a billboard war going on in North Carolina. Uh, an atheist group put up a few billboards that said, One Nation Indivisible. That was their billboard. One Nation Indivisible. And that struck a nerve with the Christians in the community locally. And so they raised some money and they put their own, up their own billboards that said, One Nation Under God. And um, a secular association billboard on the Billy Graham Parkway in Charlotte was vandalized. Uh, somebody, somebody spray painted the words "under God" under the word "indivisible" on the atheist. I'm, I'm thinking, oh, that's great, right? That helps the Christian cause right there. Let's just, let's just vandalize some stuff, you know. I, I mean, I can see the. I can see the disciples spray-painting, you know, he's really the Messiah across the doors of the synagogue or on the back of the windows of the Pharisees' camels. You know, he is the Messiah. Uh, the fact of the matter is there are attacks all over the world against the Christian faith, against the the truth that, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. It's all around us. Uh, the church was under attack in Paul's day uh no less than the churches under attack in our uh, day today. In fact, I think that that more people in our culture today worldwide are persecuted for their faith in Christ than at any other time in history and I the reason I say that is because a new study just came out and it said it was put on it was a study from the Italian based Center for Studies in New Religions and they determined that 90,000 Christians in the year 2016 were killed for their beliefs. 90,000 Christians were killed simply because of what they believe. They also determined, um, let's see, the, a third of those were at the hands of Islamic extremists like ISIS, and the other two-thirds were killed by state and non-state persecution. Uh, including places like North Korea and other countries that, are, that have Sharia law. Uh, the study also found that as many as 600 million Christians were prevented from practicing their faith in the year 2016. I don't know how they figure that out, but 600 million Christians. Now, the fact of the matter is, I, I can say that to you, and it, and maybe it wells up a little bit of anxiety in you. You know, maybe not. Maybe you feel like, well, we're still pretty free in the United States. I guarantee you in other countries, there is some anxiety created because of the way people are treated because of what they believe. Now, the frustrating thing to me is that that even greater anxiety can rise up when we're attacked, not from people on the outside of the church, but from people on the inside of the church. When, when we come into conflict with people that we're sitting next to on a Sunday morning or that, that are sitting in you know, chairs in, in other churches throughout the course of the week, and we come into conflict with them. Paul challenges us today to be unified in the Lord, to, to, to be a part of this vision and mission that God has given us together and, and to practically live out our lives in a way of rejoicing and experiencing joy, free, free from anxiety. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because I think everybody in here would, but who wouldn't want to live an anxiety-free life? You may have anxiety in your life here this morning. There's something you're worried about or you're you're wondering about. Now, last week, we talked about the fact that the, that the Christian life is like running a race. Paul uses that illustration over and over and over again, and we're to run this race with, with everything that we have, with all of our might straining on towards the prize. And if you look at verse one of chapter four this morning, it says, therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for by joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. This actually should have been attached to last week's message because he's finishing the point. Anytime you see Paul use the word therefore, it's referring to what he just talked about before. And, and Paul just said that we're to run the race and this is we're to run it hard we're we're to run it to win and he says therefore because of all of this you whom I love and I long for my joy and my crown this is how you stand firm you stand firm by running the race hard and it's a it's a direct challenge from Paul now, there is a word there that he uses that we need to make sure that we understand here this morning. It's, it's three words, in the Lord, in the Lord, in the Lord, in Christ, in Christ, with the power of the Spirit. Paul repeats that over and over and over and over again in the book of Philippians and other passages as well. And what he is saying is you and I, we can't just decide, hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going I'm to discipline myself and I'm going to live the Christian life. It's impossible perfection can't be gained it's only in Christ Jesus that we will succeed it's only in Christ Jesus will we be able to run the race with all of our heart and all of our gusto as if to win the prize it's only in Christ we're going to see that we're able to to experience and live out the things that Paul is talking about us talking about to us here this morning look at verse 2 Paul says I plead I plead I'm begging with Euodia, and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Several times in the book of Philippians, we've seen Paul um, concerned about people getting along, and and some frictions that exist. Now, you and I are human, and as many uh, people in this room as we have, the same number of opinions about certain things, okay? You can't live life conflict-free. You can't be married to someone who is very much like you or very much not like you and not have conflict exist, It happens, but Paul is going to tell us today how to live our lives amidst that. How do we work through that? How do we get through this conflict? He's concerned about the unity. In in fact, um, the church at Philippi was experiencing persecution, but right now Paul's saying, look, this stuff is happening on the inside, and it should not be. And it must have been something serious enough that it was noticeable to everyone because it made it all the way back to... I mean, how does Paul find out about this 800 miles away in prison? It must have been a big deal. It must have been significant. So Paul says, look, here's the first thing. He says, you need to be united in the Lord. You need to be united in the Lord. Now, Euodia and Syntyche are women. The guys in here are saying, well, that puts us off the hook, right? No! They're both believers because Paul says that their names have been written in the book of life. He says that earlier in the passage. And the unity and the sanctity of the church is too important uh, to consider the dispute a private matter to be only settled by the women. Okay, This has become a public thing, obviously. People know about it. Paul's writing about it in a letter to the church. He calls them out by name. Could you imagine... If we had a letter from, from a leader here this morning and I was reading it for the first time and as you're sitting there, your name is mentioned, man, yeah, I would, would, not, would not crawl under the chair, right? Okay, but Paul, Paul does this in such a way. He says, look, he, he's pleading with them to be, to be reconciled. Now, I'm not sure what the disagreement is over. Paul never says that. He doesn't say, well, this is what, what you should do. You know, like most parents, we can have pretty strong opinions about how certain things should be handled, right? And we tell our kids, "If you just do," or we tell our spouse, "If you just do this, this, and this, it'll be fine." If you, if you would just think this way, life will be great the rest of the day, right? Um, but Paul wants them to be to be one in the Lord. He. I don't think it's sin. I don't think Paul is I don't think this thing is is created by sin in and of itself because Paul's never been shy about pointing out sin to to churches. Um he he's not confronting any sort of heresy in this letter, so it must not be that. Well, I mean, we're really not sure, but I don't think that really matters. What matters is it's causing division. And whatever this is that's between these two, they need to work it out. You know, you've gotten that way with someone before, right? You, you, you're so angry or upset at someone that, that you even cross across the street to walk on the other side uh, because you don't want to face them. You don't want to look them in the eye. Or, or you avoid them. You know, you see them at Walmart and you go the other way and you go do other shopping first before you have to come back to the aisle that they're in. I mean, that's, here's your sign, right? There's a conflict going on and it needs to be resolved. Paul is saying, look... You need to agree with each other in the Lord. He says, be reconciled. In fact, I don't think there's anything more destructive in a church fellowship than people that are at odds with each other, right? It's that way in life. If... You know, if you have a close family and you've, or, or maybe you don't have a close family and it's because there's conflict in there, you can see how destructive it can be. You can see the anxiety that's created from that. You can see the anger, the self-righteousness, the, the selfishness, the I'm right and they're wrong, the, hey, we need to, they need to think the way that I do and then everything will be okay. I mean, that's sort of how we think oftentimes. And Paul says, no, you need to be reconciled. In Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, Paul says this, love, must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, honor one another above yourselves. You can honor someone and disagree with them. Unless they're a Raiders fan. I mean, we think that way, right? Um, yeah, you're for this school or that school or this team or that team, and, and, and honestly, really, it's, we can just get along. We can cheer for our own team, and then at the end of the day, it's, hey, let's go, you know, let's go have a cup of coffee. And hopefully the person whose team won doesn't gloat. They probably will, right? Um, but that's okay when it's around sports, right? No, no. Uh, Jesus says that if we hate our brother in our heart, it's as if we have killed them. He, he equates it to murder. Um, it's, and, and I think it leads to sin. This division, it's, it, it, it occurs as a disagreement or an offense, right? Somebody hurts your feelings, and, and then you're like, okay, well, fine, then I'm going to drop the ball on this, or I'm not going to talk to them here, or whatever, and you tell several other friends that this person mistreated you, and then, then what happens? Not good. Division. Division. Um, euodia and sintetic we see here, our leaders in the church, especially leadership, needs to uh, be one and not be divided. Uh, he says, Paul says that they have contended at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. They're respected. They're hardworking women. And now this fracture in their relationship is affecting the church to the degree that Paul, 800 miles away, has heard about this in prison. I mean, he's, he's sort of handcuffed, Right? Not a lot he can do, but words. And, and he's giving them those words right here. And now, what happens when you have a conflict with someone? What, how, do, how do Americans typically, well, people, typically handle conflict? I know how I can tend to handle conflict. It's like, just hope that it goes away, right? Just ignore it. If, honestly, if I just don't say anything to this person or, or whatever, it's, it's just going it's, it's to go away. don't just hope it goes away because it's not going to. Um, I mean, this is the case with many of us, I think. We just ignore the fracture exists and, and we sort of go on and we trudge forward and, and we hope we hope that life will just get back to normal. How many times in your marriage have you done that? You've not sat down and talked about something that occurred and you hope that it just goes away. But what the best thing to do, it would be to sit down and talk about what it is and resolve it. But don't just hope that it goes away because when we hope that it goes away, it, the same thing happens to what happens to our highways in the wintertime. You know, in the, in the, at the end of the spring and in the fall when you see the guys out there and they've got those big high-pressure things and they're blowing all the dirt out of the cracks and then they're filling the cracks with tar, why do they do that? They do that because in Wyoming winters, when it's minus 14 one day and it's 38, 40 degrees the next... Snow melts and where does water go? It goes down into the cracks and at night what happens? It freezes. And what does ice do when it freezes? It expands. And the crack gets bigger. It's exactly what happens in our relationships. If we don't attend to fractures, water gets in and it freezes and the division gets wider and wider and wider. Now I'm not saying this is easy. Okay? Trust me, I know. Conflict, dealing with things, being truthful with one another, it's not easy. But if it can protect us, and Paul says we need to be united, that's how we stay united and not divided. Now, in our next series, actually, we're going to talk about this idea of reconciliation and this idea of peacekeeping. And, and so, man, stick with us after next week for the next four weeks, and, and, and we're going to learn some really great stuff. You know, every time I talk about living life in our communities with other people, I think about where Paul says that, that we want to shine, that we will shine like the stars. If we rethink life and we do it differently than the next guy people are going to see it and they're going to notice it. And they're going to wonder, what is up with that guy? How how is he so, or she so, calm and cool under criticism or pressure or whatever? It's not because I'm such a great guy. It's because I live my life in Christ, focused on the kingdom, and, and the changes that Jesus Christ is doing in my life begin to show every day. You know, how you... How you treat the waitress at the restaurant, how you, how you treat the, the lady at Walmart that just ran over your foot with her shopping cart, right? You're, you're standing in a long line at Walmart. Nobody likes to do that, but we all do, right? Because there's never enough checkers. Doggone Walmart, I'm never going to shop here again, blah, 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 and then four days later you're there, right? You can't go to Kmart now. So, so you, you have a decision to make. Am I going to stand in this line and fret and fume because I have to wait to check my stuff out? And then when I get up there, I, I'm already frustrated. So then she, you, know, you find out that she double charges you for something or he. And then, and then what? You lash out at them. And, and it really, you know, people make mistakes, right? Well, they shouldn't make a mistake today when I'm standing in line and I've been here for 20 minutes. So just in everyday practical living, you step back and you say, hey, am I going am, am to choose, am I going to think good things here? Or, or am I going to let circumstances control me? No. We control our response to circumstances. Not all the time do we get to control our circumstances. That We know that's completely not true. But our response to them, we certainly can. So don't just hope that it goes away. Matthew five twenty three and 24 say this, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. God is saying, right? Jesus is saying in that verse right there, your unity with another person is more important in this time and space than your worship to me. You need to tend to that first. And then you come back. Then you come back. Don't just go on with life as if this fracture or this conflict or whatever doesn't exist. Okay, take steps to reconcile. Um, This has gone on long enough that obviously they're not handling it themselves. Okay, it's. I wonder how long it takes for news to travel 800 miles in the first century. It's not. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have Facebook. Have you ever, can you, can you believe the speed of the internet? Have you ever been sitting at your desktop and you type something and you have your cell phone sitting right there? And those two things aren't connected to each other. They're connected through some tower that's connected by space or some really, really, really long phone line, right? And the minute you hit enter, your phone lights up. How does that even happen? That's like a It's not a miracle, but it kind of is. It it took time for this to get to Paul, and so obviously they're struggling with handling it themselves. And where do we go in the New Testament if we're having trouble with a conflict with someone? Somebody tell me, what, what book and what chapter? Anyone? That's a good place, but the place. Matthew? Eighteen. Thank you. Matthew 18. Write that in your notes. Matthew 18. This is what Matthew 18 verse 15 says. Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Okay? The previous verse that I read was, that was talking about worship, that's if you know that you've offended someone, you need to go to that person and you need to make it right. Jesus is talking here about somebody that's offended you. Somebody that's wronged you. Okay? He says, if your brother... Now, again... When he uses the term brother, he's talking about fellow believer here. Okay, now we should go to those who don't believe also. We should live um, at peace, as much as is up to us, with everyone, the Bible says. But, but right here, when, when you're applying Matthew 18, Jesus says, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. Important, very important. Before you put anything, whether it has a name on it or not, on Facebook, read Matthew 18. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens, Jesus says, you have won your brother over. How many times in your marriage have you sat down with something and, and you said, look, you said this and it really made me feel this way. And, and, and the other person actually says, you know what? I'm really sorry that I, 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 I see now that I was wrong in saying that. Will you please forgive me? When that happens in a relationship, I mean, let's shoot off the fireworks because that's a big deal. And, 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 it, and it strengthens your relationship with whoever that other person is. It grows. It, it, but when you, and I don't care if it's a business or whatever, when you, when, and we do, everybody, maybe you could exempt yourself, but a lot of people, just type stuff, and they just hit send, and, it, and it's just, it's not good. It's just not. And, and I think, you know, just make a note to go home and delete your Facebook page. No, I, I whatever. You know, wh- Facebook is, can be good. This is not a sermon about Facebook. Okay, so what happens if you do that and the other person rejects you? That's happened to me before. I've gone to someone and I said, you know, when you did this, it really made me feel like this. And they looked at me dead in my, in my face and said, good, that's how I wanted you to feel. Okay? It's happened. I've experienced it. Now, I, my first reaction wasn't to punch them in the face. Some of yours might be. Okay? But that's not what you do. I, I took a deep breath. Under, un, in my heart, I thought, man, I really wasn't expecting that. I wasn't. I was really hoping for better. But when I left that meeting, I, I knew that I had done everything I could to, re, you know, live at peace with everyone as far as, it is, as, as far as it is up to you, the Bible says. I had done everything I could do. And, and I just kind of let it go. I had confronted it. Okay, now this person wasn't in, in the church. So, okay. But what happens when, they, when that does occur, when they do say that to you? Okay, Jesus goes on in verse 16, and he says this, but if he or she will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Paul is saying, seek help in peacemaking. Okay? These two ladies, it wasn't happening. And he says, you people need to help them out. They need help in in working through this. Okay, it's, Jesus says, so that every matter may be established. Now, when you were little, if you had a brother or a sister, who always got in trouble when something bad happened? It was always the second kid to go to mom because the first kid always told their side of the story and it wasn't always true. Right? Yes, it was. (laughs) Spoken as a true oldest child, I believe. Okay, the... Right? I mean, you know, there's always another side to the story. There was a pastor who had a similar situation. He said that a wife came to him for counseling and, and she said that her husband had grabbed her wrist forcefully when they got into an argument. And the pastor's like, wow, this, this just shouldn't be. And so he went and he called the husband and he's like, hey, we need to have a conversation and, and you, uh, you know, you need to tell me about this. He said, "Did you grab your wife's wrist?" And he said, "Yes." "Yes, I absolutely did." He said, "But but there was a knife in that hand and she was swinging it at me." <laughs> right? That's what this other person is for, to be an unbiased or these other two people, unbiased mediators to say, "All right, let, let's help you find a solution here." A neutral party That's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 18. They're not witnesses to take sides, although that's what we do, right? We feel justified in a situation and and we gather up three or four or five or six or other, whoever will listen to us tell our story and who say, oh yeah, yeah, you shouldn't. I mean, the church... Our church has made decisions like that in the last 20 years. And people on the outside have said, how dare you treat this person that way? How dare you act in this, in this way? And they're only hearing their side. The point is reconciliation and unification and, and solving this. Not to say, well, you're right and you're wrong and whatever. Well, what if they're both right? What if they're both wrong? But they just can't see it. That's what these other people are supposed to be a part of doing. Maybe maybe, you have, maybe you've tried your best at reconciling with someone and it hasn't worked. Talk to someone. Grab a couple people, not just friends, but people that you know that you can trust who will help you solve the problem. Because our objectivity is often skewed to our side. Five minutes at a high school girls or boys basketball game will prove that to be true. Because one side's hollering about one thing and the other side's hollering about the same thing, but it's a different thing. Right? Because they're looking through their team's glasses. Well, wow, the ref blew that call. Yes, he did. But did you remember the one that he blew for their side 30 seconds before? They're people, they miss stuff. And it generally generally <laughs> balances out in the end so the result the result in doing what paul is asking us to do here is unity it's unity it's it's deep friendship it's stronger relationships it's an army of god that contend that can contend for the gospel in the midst of all kinds of outside attacks because we're unified Now, what are those things that create anxiety in you? Because there's a plethora of sources, right? Health, economic trouble, tragedy, death, work stress, expectations, busy schedules, lack of sleep, life-altering decisions, educational studies, relationship difficulties, and those are just the ones the Andersons have experienced this month. And we're only eight days in! Now, I don't know if we've experienced all of those, but... Maybe you're kind of feeling that way. There's a study called The Economic Burden of Anxiety Disorders, which was commissioned by the ADAA and based on data gathered by the association, was published in the Journal of Clinical Psychiatry, and this is what they found. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the United States. With 40 million, that's 18% of the adult population age 18 and older, affected by an anxiety, what they would say, disorder. It's the most common mental illness, surpassing even depression in numbers. It's number one. Think about that. Number one. Here's here's what they also found. Anxiety disorders cost the U.S. more than $42 billion a year, almost one-third of 148 billion total mental health bill for the United States goes to anxiety disorder. And Paul says, you don't have to have it in your life. An American, in American women, anxiety is number one. Number one. And in men, it's only second to alcohol and drug abuse. Life can cause anxiety. And it's no different today than it was when Paul was. Now, in an obvious attempt to stem the tide, according to Psychology Today, in 2008, 4,000 books were published on happiness. 4,000 books! It's not working. We don't need another book, we need a Savior. We need Jesus Christ, we need the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not saying that it's not something that we shouldn't, I'm saying it's not something we should just throw our hands up and say, well, life's just going to be this way. I'm saying let's live the way Paul is saying to live our life and the anxiety will go away. Now, look at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, Paul says. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Two words that Paul says in there that I want to say, really? No way, Paul. No. I want something. I want to be anxious about something. Something. I want to hold on to something. How can I have a pity party if there's not some anxiety I can hang on to? Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, all of it, I thought there's got to be a loophole right here. So I I went to the Greek. I went to the Greek and I looked it up. And the word that is used, uh, the Greek word is is pas, P-A-S. Actually, it's pas, There's a little emphasis mark there. And, well, you may have guessed it. It means everything. In fact, the other words that are, that it's used in Scripture, all, all kinds, all men, all people, all respects, all the things, all things, always, any, any at all, anyone, anything, continually, entire, every, every form, every kind, every respect, every way, everyone, everyone's everything, and I left off about a dozen. He means all. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. What does he say we should do? Rejoice. Rejoice? I mean, come on, right? There's times when bad things happen and, and we have a right to not rejoice or be joyful, And and there's times when it's making me anxious, and you're telling me, Dave, that I'm not to be anxious? No, I am not telling you not to be anxious. Paul is telling you not to be anxious. The Holy Spirit is saying, if you you don't need to live this way. You don't need to live this way. Here's the thing, okay? Rejoice in the in rejoice in the pain caused by cancer it's a question. Rejoice in the pain caused by a tragic loss. Rejoice in the loss of a job or the loss of a retirement due to economic downturn or in the loss of an unborn child or a hailstorm that wiped out 90% of your crops. You fill in the blank. Am I to rejoice for that? Am I to rejoice in that? Is Paul rejoicing because he's chained in prison? Does Paul say that? I don't think that's what Paul is rejoicing in. So, because Paul gives us reasons that he's rejoicing. He's rejoicing because he was able to witness to the guards because of the circumstances he's in. He says that the increased boldness to my fellow Christians, I rejoice in that because I'm in this position. Um, they're, they're able to stand their ground. I don't think it's his circumstances that Paul is, is focusing on. Is it? It's in Christ. It's in the Lord, it's in the Messiah that we rejoice. And when we rejoice in, those, in, in Him, we recognize that life isn't so much about this little significant this little or this great circumstance in my life. It's not just that. You see, we can rejoice that our God has never and will never change. You see, he is all powerful, all present. He's all knowing. He will not make a mistake. And he promised to be with you and with me to the very end of the age. And when we are focusing on that, not to say that this circumstance or this thing, this difficult thing, isn't a big deal, but to God, it's not a big deal. And if he's the one that we're focusing on, he will prove to you and to me that it's not a big deal. And that he's got this. Paul says then to be gentle. He says, Let your gentleness be evident to all. And and maybe there's some of us in this room that, that, that gentleness is not your default. And and you need to ask God to give you strength to not be so harsh. To treat people gently to choose not to lash out at those that are around you, to deal with people lovingly, honestly, truthfully, and gently. Paul says to fight anxiety with prayer. Verse 6, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by what? Prayer and petition. With thanksgiving, present your requests to God. What are those requests that you have? Put them at the feet of Jesus and see what he does with them. He is the one who will never fail. He is the one who will never make a mistake. God will never utter a flippant word to us. We can trust him with it all. You have anxiety this morning? Turn it over to him. Let him have it. Let him have it. I know you want to hold on to it. Uh, Maybe even for you, it's become part of your identity. Let it go. Rethink your life and what he says, what Paul says, what God says your future can be, and let it go. Maybe you want to hold on to it because you you want to hold a grudge against someone. Is that right? (laughs) Giving everything over to God is scary. Because what does that mean? It means that I'm giving up control. I'm I'm letting him make those decisions. Psalm 108, verse 4 says this For great is your love, higher than the heavens, your faithfulness reaches to the skies. You see, prayer works. We see examples of it in King David's life. He's honest, he tells God how he's feeling. He lets him know as if he didn't know that before, right? But, but when we do tell him, it's like something happens in us. It's like, well, he does know. He did know before, but now I know he knows. Philip Yancey says this, If prayer stands as the place where God and human beings meet, then I must learn about prayer. Most of my struggles in the Christian life circle around the same two themes. Why God doesn't act the way I want God to and why I don't act the way God wants me to. Prayer is the precise point where those themes converge. So if, if you could be sitting in a chair and you're in your office or whatever, pull up another chair and set it right there. and Just, that's Jesus sitting there. I mean, that's how real he is and should be. Now, this conversation that goes on here, what, what is that? That's prayer. And, and in that communication where you're listening and speaking at times, that right there, that's where those two things converge. That's where they meet. What you want God to do and what he wants you to do. And when, when we come to this place and we, we do it in a real way, We begin to rethink things. Things begin to change in our hearts and in our minds, and we understand. We, we, this, this peace of God which transcends all understanding, that's the result. Have you ever wondered how you would respond in a really sticky situation? I mean one that, that's life or death. On Thursday morning, I, I sat and prayed with Gloria Stahl and Gary and others who had gathered to, to be there in the waiting room for Gloria's open heart Valve replacement, okay? She's going to have the part of a pig attached to her heart. Now, I know there's, there's those here who have, who've, who've fought cancer, and there's times where you, you wish that it was over, and now you're beyond that, and you're thankful for that. I'm just I, I, for, for two weeks, I've been trying to wrap my mind about what, what it would be like for me to be facing a surgery like this, where they're going to open they're going to open me up. They're going to stick a thing in there, and they're going to crank it, and it's going to pull my ribs apart. They're going to stop my heart. Stop it. Stop it. And, and I think, how, what, what sort of feelings would I be having? And I tend towards anxiety. It's easy for me to be anxious about something. Holy smokes. And I'm sitting in front of this woman and I mean, we're like talking about football and all sorts of other things, and she seems to not have a care in the world. And I'm like, Gloria, you inspire me. Now, she could have been just putting on a good face, maybe, but I don't think so. I think it was real, and, and I think that that reality was in the fact that, that her life was in God's hands and whatever he wanted to do with it, he was going to do with it, and she's just taking the next step, and that's okay. Okay trust, faith. That's how I want to be. And, and Paul says that, that this is the peace of God which transcends all understanding when we experience life like he's saying to experience it right here. It can be you and me facing something and we're like, you know what? Other people are worrying about this a whole lot more than I am because God's got this. It can be a reality for all of us. She uh, came through the surgery great. They had her up in a chair yesterday. Just, it just blows my mind. I'm like, just lay me on my back for two months, okay? If you're going to do that to me, um, I don't know when she's going to be coming home, but so far things are, her recovery is, is off to a great start. And I think one of the reasons for that is because for weeks before we've been praying for her. Look at verse 8. This is the last point. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Finally, Paul says, think about good things. Think about good things. Think the good, the good thoughts. Change the things that you think. And I say that because of that Dr. Seuss' book, Oh, the things that you can think. Oh, oh, the things, the good things that you can think, Paul says. Think about good things. And, and I don't think Paul's limiting it, our thoughts at all because Paul uses the word whatever. Whatever. Get up in the morning, but whatever you're thinking, let it be a good thing. Let it be whatever is good, noble, true, right, pure, lovely, admirable. And he goes on, think about these things. There's no limit. Think about them all day long. Think about them all night long. Dream about them. Limit, I think, your intake of yuck. And, and that's all kinds of things. Media-related, you know, um, attitude-related. Uh, just so many things. Paul says, whatever, whatever. Think about these things. And then, and then Paul has the audacity because I'm really good at thinking stuff, right? Are you? I can think about stuff all day long. But it's this next sentence that he says. He says, put them into practice. Don't just think about them. Do them. Do them. Don't just file them away in your mind to be recalled when it benefits you, but, but we need to remember that we need to do them all. We live in a broken world, and this broken world needs people not only thinking about good things, but doing good things. Every day! It could be as simple as saying hi to someone, opening a door for someone, stopping to see if someone needs help on the side of the road. You know, paying that last $2 that somebody's trying, they're they are the ones holding the line in Walmart up and they're trying to find the extra 2 or $3 or whatever and they're trying to decide what they're going to put away and you say, ah, no, I got the rest. Whatever. Whatever. Whatever good. Because we... We have people around us who are, who are in broken relationships and broken economies and broken promises and broken bodies. And honestly, instead of freaking out about all of this, let's pray. Let's not be anxious. Let's trust. Paul says that we can rejoice. We can. We can rejoice if Jesus Christ is our Lord. We can live that way, filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says the result will be peace. It will be peace. Because think about it, right? You're re- reconciled with the creator of the universe. Okay? God has, uh, First John says that if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just and, and what? He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. When we surrender our life to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he comes in and says, it's all clean. I'm taking it all on me. The penalty that you would have had to pay before, which was death and hell for eternity, it's paid. I took that all on me. Oh, and he says, oh, and by the way, I'm going to walk with you every day of your life. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. I will be with you to the very end of the age. And when you experience things that are impossible for you, that's okay because nothing is impossible with God. I'm there with you. God, will you take that test for me that I didn't study for? Mm, Probably not. But he'll let you take it and fail it and learn that next time you maybe should study a little bit more. And we can trust him with those things. Whatever it is that's on your heart and your mind this morning. And maybe, you know, in regards to to the passage this morning where Paul is focusing on reconciliation, what are those things in your life? What are those relationships in your life that are creating anxiety? And just lay those things down to him and say, Lord, what do you want me to do here? As far as it is up to you, live at peace with everyone. And then you just kind of, after that, when, when you've done what you felt he has said to do, take a deep breath and you move on. And that other person's destroyed by the feelings or whatever that they have. it. it and it happens to us too. If we hold on to that stuff, it eats us from the inside out. So as the worship team comes up, I have one last thing that I want you to write in your notes. It's this. Don't tell... Okay, this, this was a poster. It said, I don't, tell God, I don't tell God how big my problems are. I tell my problems how big my God is. Okay? It's kind of cliche. I know. But it's, it's true. Um, I, I tell God how big my problems are, actually. And he says, You know what? I'm I'm bigger. I'm bigger. Paul says, bring your requests to God. Lay your problems at, my f- at, at at the feet of Jesus. And when you do, every day, remember how big he is. He created you. He created all things. And when we do that, we it's, it's uncanny. You've probably been there. You just get this sense of peace that, you know what? This is going to be okay. Not because I'm a great person, but because of Jesus Christ in my life. Um, let's stand and we're going to close in this final song. The ushers are going to come and take our morning offering uh, as our final act of worship. Father, thank you. Father, I, I pray that, that a couple things, Lord. I pray that if there's broken relationships, that that Father, that we all would just lay those down before you and that, that we would see your power work in those and that, they would, that, that unity would occur. Maybe that's our heart that needs changed. Maybe it's the heart of another person. Maybe it's we need boldness to to con, to confront someone, to sit down with them and say, "Hey, we need to talk about this." Father, I pray that twenty seventeen would be would be a year where, where, where peace and, and the lack of anxiety is just just raises up in us. We experience that a month from now, six months from now, a year from now. We look back and we go, "Man, I don't know where." I do know where. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Let him have it. Let him take that and it will melt like the snow on a 60 degree day. And Father, I pray that you would use us in the lives of of our friends and our family and those that we see every day that we may shine like the stars and they may know who you are. And they may experience the peace and forgiveness in life that we experience ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.